Live from Hill Valley, this is Derailed Trains of Thoughts. Welcome to episode 148 of Derailed Trains of Thoughts, your premier podcast on storytelling. For the creator and the consumer. And my name is Timothy Deal. My name is Nick Hayden. And we are coming to you from a nice little quaint little Americana town. Yeah, nice little court-like kind of courtyard thing here going on. Yeah, they have a beautiful clock tower. I think no. that I see some old ladies that are trying to petition the local government to fix it you up. You really should. I mean, it's nice. I it wonder is. what happened to it. Yeah, it's a good question. It's a little surprising, this this small little, it looks like a small city, but I see some like homeless guy on the bench over there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, Interesting place. Mayor election coming up, maybe? Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess that we're here in the wrong time. Unless yeah. this is a primary, I don't know. I don't know how it works, yeah. Uh, yeah, time seems a little wonky whenever the podcast spirits us, or I'm sorry, casts us. Cast to, us, yes. To these places, but anyway, welcome folks, welcome to 2024. Yes, we have made it. Um, even though 12 the years people, past the end of the world. Yes, even though the people around here don't look like it's 2024. No, I'm not, no, it's like... What, 80s? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. We've gone back to the past. We spent a lot of time lately in like nice, quaint little areas. Maybe the podcast itself is feeling nostalgic these Maybe, days. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Hmm, I, I can't imagine why. At least nostalgic for our childhoods. <laughs> <laughs> what is the podcast childhood? That's a good question. Question. Well, I, is it ours? Has it read our mind? Was it like back in 2010 when it first started? Maybe. Or maybe, I don't know. Uh, yeah, when it was a baby cat. It was a baby cat. <laughs> anyway, how was, how was your uh, New Year's, Nick? New Year's was good. We spent it with um, between 20 and 30 youth today all night playing Grog, which is like kind of hide and seek. Oh, okay. Tag in the dark. Grog. Grog. Yeah, the Grogs are the it's. Oh, okay. Yeah, you got the non-grogs have to go find the pieces of flashlight and kill the grogs. Okay. By shining lights on it. The pieces of flashlight? Like, yeah, like you break the flashlight into like the batteries in the top and the bottom. Oh, So the, okay. it's all dark, so they have to search around while the grogs are hunting them down. Oh, that's okay. So that's pretty cool. It takes up substantial amounts of the New Year's Eve, thankfully. Now, when you say youth, is this all junior high? Is this high school? Is it a mix? A mix, yeah. Okay. Nor, most of it's basically between probably seven and sophomore. Okay. Seven, I yeah. Mean, the edges come, but by that time they don't get yeah, into as much. The, upper, the upperclassmen aren't going to mess around with the middle schoolers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. But, well, that sounds rowdy and kind of fun. But I, if, as for me, I had a nice, just quiet evening at home, you know, since we have- I would uh, like to do that. That'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah. You should try it sometime. Well, you don't have a two-month-old for no. it to be your excuse anymore. No, no, I do not. <laughs> but yes, David went to bed early and then Janelle went to bed around 11 and then I stayed up and played Super Mario Wonder and that was a, just a fun way to break in the new That's year. That's a great way. I'm fine with being the old man- a forty-year-old hermit. If I can, if I can have Mario with me, <laughs> <laughs> sounds good to me. All right, a few folks might recollect we just have a few episodes left before our hiatus. Three, including this one. That's right. So uh, let's go ahead and do it. Just make them a good one and begin. Make them a good one. Make them a good one. <laughs> Today's story topic is grammar. <laughs> We'll make Ain't this, it great? We'll make episode 148 as great as we can, uh, beginning with Story School. Okay, Nick, this was a topic I think you put on the list, but it kind of stayed there for a little yeah, while. Yeah, and I think we both liked the idea, we just hadn't found the right time for it yet. Well, and the trick is, so the, the topic is setup. Yes. And the trick is that we have done some topics that were kind of a round setup, uh, like we did, we covered beginnings mm -hmm. back in episode 35, which was just before our last hiatus, okay. like an eight-month hiatus or something like that, which, again, very thematic for this podcast as we start our very first episode was an ending yeah, so we, we did a little hiatus that when we did beginnings but then and also in episode 98 we talked about foreshadowing okay yep so both beginnings and foreshadowing or, or that's what setup is yes <laughs> basically but so what was the initial do you remember the initial inspiration for why we could talk about this a little bit more I, specifically yeah, i think and again i can't remember which one it was because we were trying to remember but 
either Back to the Future or Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I was watching it. Or both of them. I've seen both. It, sure. It, pretty close at the time. I'd rewatched them with people. Was it another youth group event? Uh, Bill and Ted was my kids. Oh, okay. Back to the Future might have been with the youth. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Anyway, I noticed how they spent some time at the beginning basically being very strategic and purposeful with, here's the, high, you know, Bill and Ted, for instance. Here's the high school. They're going to fail. In history, they're talking about these are particular people. You know, it's setting up everything. Here's the list of all the problems that you know are going to come back. It's the Chekhov's gun, but they're putting lots of guns on the wall, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. And these are all the things they're going to do. And it's it's good, but it's not surprising or action-oriented. It's just setting it up. Mm-hmm. Back to the Future is very much the same way, you know. It's like, here's your girlfriend. Here's Doc Brown. He's failing school. Dad, why, why are you always being harassed by this Biff guy? You know, it sets up all these problems, and then you're going to revisit. Now, they talk about the dad and the mom's family history about yeah. how, because Janelle and I actually just watched this a few days ago, okay. Back to the Future. So that it's like, I kind of want to refresh this. And she had never seen it. So I needed to. Oh, yeah. You got to fix that. I got to fix that. Yeah, obviously. But it does. I mean, it's been a good chunk of the time doing that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Because I recently rewatched because it's Christmas. It's Wonderful Life, which is basically three fourths setup. Yeah. I mean, if you want to, if you want to claim it that way. I mean, it's not quite the same, but it's interesting. All three of these examples are. Time travel stories. Yeah, it's true. Now, I recently rewatched Clue as well. Okay. Now, it's a mystery. So there's, but also it's it's setting up very much, here's the setup, here's who we are, here's your weapons, here's the thing. You know, the first third of the movie is just getting all the pieces in the row, so Mm -hmm. then it can kind of go nuts afterwards. And I just think it's an interesting, I don't feel like, like I see this setup very often. I feel like more stories nowadays put you in media res, which again, I like. For those of you who don't know Latin, Greek, I don't know. Um, <laughs> in the middle of the action, like Star Wars, throws you, you, like, there's throws a, you there's, Darth Vader is chasing down Princess Leia's ship. She already has the plans. They're just and they're being captured right now. Right now, yeah. That's become, I think, the predominant way of telling stories. But sometimes nowadays, it's like you're like half an hour in, halfway through the movie, before you even know what's going on. Like the context, half of why do we care? Yeah. And so I think we swung from this very distinct setup to something where. It's almost all, all catching the audience, all catching up back on stuff. up, and I think I think it's worth analyzing why is sometimes the slower, purposeful setup, why is it a good choice sometimes? Maybe more often than we do it. Yeah, when we talked about beginnings back in episode thirty-five, you were talking about like you have done in media res a couple times yourself. Yeah, yeah I like it. I think it's yeah, very. Uh, it's a neat way to do it. I think for many cases it can be a. For both of us, a writer, I mean, the interesting part right now, I'd figure out the rest later. Uh-huh. Um, and it's fun for a reader. You're like, I'm in it. I don't have to worry about anything. Yeah. The exposition tends to be the the chore part, or at least it gets perceived that way. Yeah. It was interesting when I looked and was looking at the Wikipedia article for Back to the Future, it noted that even some test audiences and critics were, were like, okay, the beginning's a little slow, but it really gets pretty good, yeah. you know, the farther you get into it. And it's not like, beginnings never have set up but yeah it is having this very purposeful we're putting things in place to help you understand the world or the the the, stakes the stakes and and the history i think part of why we decided this is a good time to talk about this is because like you said we've been seeing more and more shows that don't let the audience in on some of the histories of what's going on till probably too late in the game the most recent examples i was thinking of is one Secret Invasion, a Marvel MCU show on Disney Plus, which had a lot of good potential, but you could never figure out what we were supposed to be waiting for. Yeah, well, yeah, a lot of it was for some reason Nick Fury seemed to constantly be doing things, except not really, just yelling at people why they weren't doing stuff, and it's like I'm Nick Fury, I'm going to do something awesome. But also, I remember thinking like the second episode was way stronger because the second episode actually established some history with Nick Fury and the main antagonist. Yes. Which I felt was sorely lacking in the first episode. It was like, who is this guy? Why are we, what, what's this be? What's going on? Do you think part of this is because of the internet? And it's almost like writers know the world and they're like, oh, we can't spend, everyone's going to dissect this or know this too much anyways. We're just going to pretend everyone already kept up at 100 miles an hour, which I don't think most viewers do, but there's that subsection that does. I think that might be a factor, and particularly the another Disney Plus show that had this problem, I felt, was Ahsoka, mm. uh, a Star Wars show, yeah. which I'm not sure it's entirely unfair to have this expectation of Star Wars fans are going to know their Star Wars stories. And Ahsoka especially expects you to know Clone Wars 
but most specifically, because it doesn't really give a whole lot of backstory about it at all, Rebels, the TV show Rebels. Yeah. It starts kind of like, not immediately after, actually, there's like, there seems to be a gap, but it expects you to know some of the characters. And even though I have seen both those shows, there were some details I just wasn't quite getting. Like, early on, Ahsoka, who is a former Jedi, she had left the Jedi Order before Anakin had went gone dark, so that's why Yoda yeah. doesn't consider her a Jedi, even though she's a Force user kind of out there in the world during the original trilogy era. But she had... In Rebels, she had gone on this journey with one of the characters from that show. They were going to look for a character who was missing, and apparently she was going to give her some force training. Yeah. At the beginning of this Ahsoka series, they apparently had stopped the training, and you don't really know why. There's there's obviously some sort of rift between the two of them, but they don't really delve into it. Now, you could, and I wouldn't be surprised if maybe some uber like dedicated Star Wars people, which I grew up with Star Wars, yeah. you think I'm dedicated, right? But I, I just... You know, I'm a busy, grown yeah. adult now. We're doing other things besides just watch, reading all the Star Wars stuff. Yeah, and thinking deeply about it. You know, this character who Ahsoka stopped training, who I should really name, but I'm blanking on it Sabine. right now. Sabine, yes, thank you. She's a Mandalorian, and we know from the Mandalorian show that they had a big thing going on in their world. And the reason they eventually get, it's not until like the end, the last episode of this little <laughs> mini series that someone asks, Hey, what's the deal between Ahsoka and Sabine? And he's like, well, this is what happened. She was, she was worried about uh, how Sabine was reacting to what happened on Mandalore yeah. and thought she might go down dark side. And I was like, Oh, what just say that in episode one? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I guess I could have figured that out because all the information was there, but, but unless you're a mystery show, why are you, Part of the lack of setup, because people, one of the primary ways we keep people interested is questions nowadays. Yeah. I don't, I'm going to blame Lost on that. No, um, not just <laughs> that, but it certainly helped. Yeah. But the problem is you don't need to keep everything as questions. There is such a thing as having drama that's just because. I think The Mandalorian actually does a really good job of having drama mm. that's not based on questions. Mm -hmm. And older TV shows, like I've been watching Battle of Five with Theo, they constantly will drop in dialogue so that if you didn't watch the last episode be everything was syndicated you can catch up yeah nowadays tv shows they never give you hints they purposely avoid giving you any hints about in case you didn't remember last episode and netflix doesn't even give you previously on because like just go watch the whole season before you watch a new season <laughs> yeah they expect um, you to binge it each time yeah so i i not just set up but the lack of just signposts mm. of just give us what we need to know don't make let the audience work hard on what needs to be worked hard on. Like, you don't want to spoon feed them necessarily, but make it things about the drama, about the character interactions, not about details that in a normal life when you're, when it's just your entertainment, not, you know, you just pop in once a week. Yeah. I feel it's one of these things where the artists want to be artistic. Mm -hmm. And I mean, because, you know, we've, we talked about on Let's Finally Watch This and other places. You know, we enjoy the obscure theming, the like trying to decipher The Prisoner yeah. or Eight and a Half or yeah. some of these more cerebral things. But Star Wars is an eight and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. Yes. I'd like to see an eight and a half Star Wars episode. <laughs> I mean, if you purposely set up your show to be that, okay, yeah. cool. But I don't think Ahsoka was marketed or intended to be it's that sort of cerebral story. thing. Yeah, it's an adventure. It's about characters, and you can't fully enjoy the journey the characters are going on if you don't really understand their history. And I don't think it's fair to expect... I mean, again, I've grown up with Star Wars, and there are parts of Ahsoka, granted, that I really liked. Like, I think Episode Five was some of the most powerful Star Wars that Disney Star Wars has ever done. And it was certainly a, an episode that relied on, or at least you could appreciate more. I think you could appreciate it even if you hadn't seen some of Clone Wars, but you would appreciate it more if you'd seen the history. And yet this whole relationship, like why are they having this rift, was something I didn't really get until the mm -hmm. last episode. Why? The downside to setup, theoretically, is it can be boring. People can perceive it as boring. We live yeah. in a world where you want, we want to get into it now. Mm -hmm. Let's just do it now. And I think... And I guess most of our illustrations have been like 80s movies. <laughs> I don't know if that's just a style back then. But say you're the creator. How do you make your setup? I mean, my inclination is to start in the middle of things. I don't want to... I discover my story by writing it. So I don't want to... Setup requires you already know everything that's going to happen yeah. in some ways. Yeah. Well, I think an answer to that, and I don't know how much you'll like this, Nick. Yeah, go for it. But 
I think part of it is to remember that you're not just creating for yourself. That's true. Like if you are keeping your audience in mind and trying to remember what the audience knows, you'll be able to give them the guideposts mm-hmm. that they need to appreciate the story. Like, and I'm currently, you know, I'm working yeah, on, you're a, a, novel on a novel right, right now. now. Yeah. yeah. So, and I, and I get the appeal of like, I've got all these secrets. I want to reveal them in this organic way and yeah. make it super cool. But the problem is, if your audience doesn't understand your story enough to get to the cool part, yep. you've got a problem. That is completely true. And I I think on that same line, like, do so you write like me where I usually have to, I don't know what I'm doing until I get in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Then what you should do, at least in a book, is then when you, you revise, like that's the thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Like go back and add some details, like yeah. set something up, add some scenes. I think the one time I did do really good setup, I don't know about really good, but decent setup. I think it was hard for me, but it worked out well in the long run, is in The Unremarkable Squire, mm-hmm. the first um, chapter is basically introducing the world, introducing the plot, introducing the stakes. The speech the king gives is basically an outline for the entire novel. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it works really well that way, because you don't necessarily know it's set up. <laughs> no. Yeah, which later. is pretty one of the great things about it. I think there's a lot of benefit to set and I Again, like I write different type, like string threads of different type of writing style than Squire is. Hmm. So I, I think there is wiggle room, but I think you're right that the more the writer or creator can say, okay, what do they really need? Like, if you're keeping things in the dark, it's got to be stuff that is not just frustrating. Yeah. Like everything else needs to be known. And sometimes knowing it all it actually makes the plot in the sense of like we talked about on Let's Finally Watch This, um, Shadow of a Doubt. Oh, sure. I mean- you already know he's the bad guy. I mean, if he wasn't the bad guy, all the the advertising and the DVD cover were being very misleading. <laughs> and that's the, the plot is that you already know the setup. Yeah, it'd be boring if he wasn't the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. I recently watched this show, actually last night. Natasha, I decided to try Foundation. Okay. It's on Apple TV. I had a free three months or whatever. Okay. Which is based on Isaac Asimov's books. Oh, sure. It's a pretty interesting first episode. They change, you know, it's going to make a TV show in modern. So, but it, it kept the basic heart of it. The problem is, like, Natasha's, it took her half the show to figure out what was going on because she didn't know psychohistory or Harry Seldon and what all the relationships between these. I mean, it was a whole new science fiction world. Oh, sure. I mean, um, I, I've never read it. So, and it was a good example of this, like, a little bit more. And they had a narration at the beginning setting some stuff up, but the important stuff, like, what is psychohistory? And who is this Harry Seldon guy? You don't get to the till this trial scene half a half hour into the show. You're like, I knew where well, I thought I knew, but I'm like, maybe they changed it. Mm. It would have been really helpful to do. I think, especially in visual media, they think they can apply more in visuals than they actually are. Yeah. If you think about how people have had a lot of dissatisfaction with MCU and Disney Plus shows lately. I think they are banking a little bit too much, well, in those cases, maybe banking too much on name brand recognition. Mm-hmm. And maybe even in something like Foundations, like, oh, this is Isaac Asimov. I, I must pay attention because yeah. I, I want to be a enlightened science, science fiction fan. Now, have you seen Dune? I have not. I haven't seen either. But I think that's one of those they throw you in, but eventually... I the, mean, the, movie? The, the movie? The recent movie? Yeah. But even the book... I haven't reread it for ages and ages, but I started a little bit of it um, a while ago. I can't decide I, if I need to read the book before I see the movie. I in this think case. it would help. For a, I think okay. with these dense, I think here's the here's the difficulty with dense worlds. I think Foundation, Dune, is that you would spend hours explaining everything. So you got to figure out what do you need to explain mm. and what do you let be revealed. But there's nothing wrong with revealing over time. But you gotta you've got to give a baseline. Mm-hmm. And I think that's hard, I think, to find on really complicated things. Well, okay, that makes me want to ask, how did the Wheel of Time series do this? Because you watched that with Natasha, right? Well, I mean, I know you've got I complain. I complained about it most of the time, but she could ask, well, she, the thing is she had heard about, a lot about the basic stuff from me anyways. Oh, okay. And I would only give a commentary on, oh, here, this didn't actually happen, or here's... <laughs> yeah. um, the thing is, Wheel of Time is interesting, though. Because even the book set up, it starts out, well, and the the book itself is a hundred pages. Yeah, the, the one the, the one that I got. The through. setup's a hundred pages. Yeah, yeah. But even the movie, they set you up with they introduce the characters or the series. Yeah, the series. Yeah. But they set up the, they set up the characters in this little town. You know, it's it's something it's a trope we understand to begin with. Mm, sure. And it's it's not a super weird world. I mean, mm. I mean the you got Trollocs, but they're basically just like trolls or something. Yeah. And you got these these fades, but they're 
they're kind of like just they're unique, but they're not so unique that you need like lots of exposition about it. I think uh-huh. the biggest thing you need to know is what this this dragon thing. Okay, um, that's a fair point. And I think they explained that pretty well. We got Moraine comes in and talks about stuff, and okay, so it did it did a decent job. And I think because the book itself spends a hundred pages setting up <laughs> the world, that makes sense. And with Wheel of Time, the reason I ask is like that's a series that people know is based on a book series, but yeah. you're going to have less people. I mean, it was an Amazon show, right? Uh, yes. So you're going to have probably, they know they're going to have fewer people who have read the books. They want to get hooked on the actual series. Yeah. So they might be a little bit more careful than like an established property like MCU or yeah. Star Wars. Like yeah. they'll go with it because we're Star Wars. We're, we're on, well, yeah, they're not quite as, these days they're probably not feeling quite as invulnerable as they yeah. used to feel. I think here's another upside to, uh, to set up. It creates this expectation that something's going to happen what you, with what you said. Because here's the thing, the the tension, the drama is not always in surprise. Yeah, that's true. Now, surprise can be a great thing, but sometimes it's knowing, I know this is where it's going to end up. I know this is where it is. How do we get there? That's yeah. what most stories used to be. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, Odysseus is getting home somehow or another. Uh-huh. That's not a surprise. Right. How does he get there? And I guess... You know, we've talked before about how sometimes people take the wrong lessons from Lost. Yeah. Even though Lost got very ambiguous at times, it always had something for people to hook onto who these characters were in the moment. It was deeply character driven. It it knew even if like, even if it had stuff it was going to save for later, like Sawyer's looking at this piece of paper. What's that all about? It knew it was going to get to that piece of paper in just a few episodes. Yeah. You weren't going to have to wait. Like, oh, well, maybe we'll find about that in the next season. No, but, but here's that. That piece of paper, that's set up. Yeah. I mean, the first couple episodes are really good being like, where's this case come from? Where's these, where are these handcuffs from? Mm-hmm. What's this piece of paper about? What's this dog here for? Yeah. And you can argue that there are some things maybe that they, they set up that never happened, but part of that is the nature of it being a TV show. Yeah. Yeah. When they knew they had something specific they wanted to do, they often tried to set up, like, for example... The volcano. The volcano. <laughs> Which we see a school teacher, a Dharma school teacher, talking about this volcano thing. We never actually get to go to the volcano because the network was like, no, we can't afford to send, have your big finale on, series finale on a volcano. I, I should keep ranting about Lost, but like season two is a really good example of setup. Mm. You spend two or three episodes getting used to, what is this hatch? And the entire rest of the season's like, what if we don't press the button? What if we use these guns? They open up this new area and basically milk it for everything it's worth. Yeah. Yep. And I think you can do mystery and setup at the same time. And, and mysteries are set up. Yeah. I mean, every mystery novel is basically, here's the pieces. What do they mean? Yeah. No, it, it's true. It's not like someone's dead who are possibly our suspect. Like, you have to limit it. I think setup creates a limitation and an expectation. And again, you can always subvert expectation. But I think we, everyone thinks subverting is the only good way to write a story now. Ooh, yeah. That nowadays, if you just play the traditional piece by piece people some of like well i knew they were going to fall in love of course you did that's the entire point of the story that's not (laughs) it's not a bad writing thing for that thing you expect to happen to happen yeah that's that's not a flaw in the story necessarily yeah the fact that the hero doesn't die is not plot armor that's story (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's one of the problems with this deconstructionist era we live in Actually, just today I was watching a YouTube video that was comparing the shop around the corner to You've Got Mail. Okay. Because the, he, there was a reference in, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty clever. He was like, you know, these are movies that are written almost 60 years apart. I forget what it was now. But like, you can really see a lot about how movie making has changed over the okay. course of any. He, he pointed out how, like, Shop Around the Corner, the version with Jimmy Stewart, he compared the scene of them in the cafe. Where okay. where the guy finds out that the girl he's been communicating with is his rival or what or whatever okay. in both movies they both take place at a cafe in the shop around the corner the old one is Jimmy Stewart it's done over this there's like fourteen different shots in it and a lot of those shots are much longer because that was more the convention yeah. there for multiple reasons and you've got mail it's like over a hundred different shots but <laughs> some of that is you know just take reaction you know yeah cutting between the two people whereas back in the jimmy stewart movie they were both in the shop it was all one long scene sometimes and you know that's a sign of one technology has changed that you can't actually afford to do all the the close-ups and the cut cutting it was much more doable in 1999 than it would have been in 19 whatever 38 or whatever it was 
But also just he pointed out that the cinematic language has changed, that by the time we get to the 90s, we're expecting yeah. more fast-paced stuff, mm-hmm. and we were more accustomed to just a different style of communication. And for a certain extent, that's neither good or bad. It's just different. Yeah. However, I do think that we need to, from time to time, look back at our history of storytelling and yeah. see... Why do they do it this way, and what can we learn from that? Yeah, we tend to go in one direction too far. Mm-hmm. And then we, you look at the old time, like, oh, wait, there's also value in this way of doing things. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. The one other thing I'll, I'll mention here is the only reason I said you might not like my, uh, it's about audience perspective, yeah. is uh, I know sometimes you get in the, like, do everything according to what the story wants to yeah. do, but like at the same time, like, but we... We got to write for an audience, or I think you lose your creative drive in some ways. And having an audience make can make your story better. It can. No, absolutely, I would agree with that. Well, anything else that we have that we missed in all this, Nick? No, I don't know. Not not really. I think I I think I would just like to see more modern examples of the setup creating that sense of expectation, Mm -hmm. and Um, also a sense of history with the characters. Yeah. The ending of It's a Wonderful Life is powerful because you've experienced the scope of the history of yeah, George Bailey's yeah. life. It's because I think sometimes, like in modern shows, they try to force the emotion by the acting, without, but you don't have any connection necessarily. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes it's the weight of the, the problem. We like to complain sometimes about quantum mania. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's such a big, I can't trust, you know, they'll say stuff, but you're like, why? Yeah, why didn't you just tell us before we even got but here? But sometimes, sometimes yeah. I think it's that idea that if I say it long enough, it's gonna, you're going to feel it. Yeah. Now, showing still does a lot of work. I mean. Yeah, people, they're constantly saying show, don't tell. But like we said before, sometimes telling is valuable. Yeah. And we talked about that in the exposition episode. Yeah. But. So, I don't know. I just, I it'd be, it'd be interesting to see some of that, that more of that. Here's what we're setting up. Let's watch it unfold. Yeah. Like the, nice to see the pendulum swing the other yep. way a little bit. All right. Well, that is our story school. We'll get off our soapboxes for a yep. little bit now. <laughs> and we'll move on to soundtrack. Okay, there were a couple of different ways we could take a uh, setup for uh, soundtrack today, which if you're new to the podcast, hi, we're only going to be here for a few more episodes to take the hiatus. But, um, <laughs> but we have a lot of episodes you can go listen to. That's right. That's right. But this, this is a segment where we just, it's our musical interlude, usually taking video game remixes from Overclocked Remix. But anyway, I wound up going with, wanted to get something from some tutorial area. You know, a lot of games will have some introductory area for you to explore, learn the mechanics of the game. So I chose a remix from Tangled Deep. This is a remix of the song Pastoral Excursion, and it's the tutorial area, uh, I guess, from that game. I've not played this myself, but I know a lot of remixers enjoy the soundtrack because it's actually written by a OC remixer himself. That's pretty great, yeah. Yeah, but this remix is called Secret Garden. It was done by Chimpazilla, and it has, I think it has that feeling of early part of the game where it's both safe and yet you're going to explore, kind of setting up for your adventure to come. Very nice.
And we're back. Hello. Welcome. Hope you enjoy that uh, cheerful little journey, musical journey there. But coming up next, we're going to do one last abbreviated Once Upon a Scene. Okay, last month on Once Upon a Scene, we had this clip for you. Incidentally, I know how you feel about all this Christmas business, getting depressed and all that. It happens to me every year. I never get what I really want. I always get a lot of stupid toys or a bicycle or clothes or something like that. What is it you want? Real estate. Now, as far as I know, because we didn't receive any emails or comments on the website, sadly, the only person who got this was my wife. Oh, very nice. And she recognized that this is from A Charlie Brown Christmas. It's, it's a great clip. Yeah. She said it wasn't so much what they were talking about that she recognizes as much as it was the EQ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. yeah, it's a very distinct sound it, it does have a very distinct sound even if it's just dialogue but there you go and that was probably going to be our last once upon a scene for the time we figured it's a new year and we're about to wrap this up in a couple episodes mm-hmm. we might as well wrap up this segment for the time being but it's been fun it has been fun i've enjoyed it yeah yep. it's always fun to figure out oh what's what kind of clips can we come up with <laughs> but with that said we will now move into our take on tales It is January. Dun, dun, dun. So that means it's time for our annual book club review. Last one for a little while. When we come back from hiatus, we really have no definite idea of when that will be. Uh, we know it'll probably be at least a year away, but it probably won't be. We probably won't get to hear the uh, 2024 book club nominations. I'm no, afraid. probably not, unfortunately. But so we'll talk about our 2023 ones. This was an odd year, and I will admit that Janelle and I only got through two thirds of these. There were six books. We read four of them. Part of the problem why we missed some was partly due to this first book, <laughs> which was The Court of the Air. Oh, that one. <laughs> yes, which I got to look up to see. I forgot. To oh, look. The Court who, of the Air. There's who, mm. who wrote that thing? Um, the Court of the Air by Stephen Hunt. Yeah. We talked about this at some point on the podcast. We did. Just briefly. I don't remember which episode it was. Sometime in We used it as an example about. for something. Yeah. Redemption? Maybe. I don't remember now. Anyway, it was in what if we added it in, I think. Oh, was oh, yeah, you might be right. Anyway, this was a f- interesting book, steampunk setting. Some really interesting ideas, it just very gritty steampunk, I this, might add. This would have been a book that some setup would have helped. Yeah, I mean, well, the the thing was the world was constantly world building. Like everything like, but we couldn't you couldn't ever get a hold on what do I care about and, and yeah. The main characters were uh, you didn't. They, they were important, at least to the plot, but the characters themselves were basically just the people that everyone else explained the world to. Yeah, like it, they were kids, and like everyone else, like, oh, here's this history behind this field where this one battle took place, and oh, here are yeah. It was almost too much. Yeah, I mean, and it was gritty. From what I've heard, so the person in our club who nominated this was Nate Chen. From what I've heard, is this author has a habit of just having tons of ideas and throwing them all Wait, in a blender. Some were really cool. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, religious steam-powered robot guys are awesome. Yeah. Th- those are probably our favorite part of the story, too. And this is a long book. It's like over 600 pages, yeah. which is why it took me and Janelle like five months, it felt like, to get through. Yeah. In part because it was also just really dark. And all like It got darker as it went. Yeah. Like, there, the ending was very dark. There was, it could get very brutal. Sacrificing and, people and chop him and make him to robots. and Yeah, like way more grisly than like your Evil Aztec-like gods. and Yeah. So lots of, and lots, too many interesting ideas, but it was too dark to really be fun by the end. Or, or even yeah. like by the midway point. <laughs> I guess I enjoyed it as a, I don't know, enjoyed it. I appreciate it for its ideas. And obviously there will be things that will stick with me because mm-hmm. it's very unique. Yeah. But it'd be hard to recommend it except to, to certain people who really like kind of oddball giant things. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. Like it's even, it was too much for you and like, you know, you're the Wheel of Time fan. Yeah, it was just, it's a different, yeah, it's just a different style. It, I felt like I could never quite get the, my bearings or care enough about certain characters. I mean, the thing about Wheel of Time is that the characters are done really well. Mm. I mean, this one, I just, I couldn't tell you, some of the side characters were really interesting. The main characters were just generic. Generic with lots of powers. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not big about 
I don't care if you have powers. Give me an interesting character. Mm. All right. Yep. Well, that was our January and February book. Next, we had Rob Roy Rob by Roy. Walter Scott. I really wish we had gotten around to this one, but we didn't. Yeah. So, I, what did you think? I did enjoy it, but not as much as I... It was middling. Like, it was a good book. Like, I have no complaints about the book, but it was... I think two things would have helped me. One, I don't know my English history very well. And I feel like having a good context for it okay. would be helpful, like all the politics that exist inside of. Now, you say in- British history. Like, isn't British. this, isn't the, I thought they were Scottish. Well, but this- Britain, it, the king's changing. And oh, okay. I don't, maybe I'm completely wrong. I'm just, and also, <laughs> at least for me, reading the Scottish dialect, like when you get the second of the third parts, is really rough. There's one character that's like, I don't know what this guy is saying. Like, you get the sense, <laughs> but it's rough. Uh-huh. The first third is sort of this kind of almost gothic kind of mystery sort of thing. Okay. I really like that. The second third, getting the Scottish stuff, like, I'm having trouble getting my bearings. And then it finished up really well. And so it was a good classic, but it was not like, it's like second tier classic for okay. me. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Like, it's solid writing. I mean, it's good writing. It's Sir Walter Scott. Exactly. Interesting setup. I agree with, I feel like I read this some, in some other review somewhere. The ending's very abrupt. Oh, okay. Like, lots of stuff in the end, like, and then there's war and two years pass and this guy married this person and it's just sort of like, an, it feels like an epilogue, but it's the ending. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, it's a little, yeah. But I did enjoy it. Yeah, I, it's not like top tier, like, you have to go read this Dickens or something. Okay. But it was, it was enjoyable. Okay. I kind of wish, and I believe our faithful listener, Katie. She really liked it. She, I, I was going to say, I was trying to remember if she She was a little a disappointed, not disappointed, surprised that I didn't love it as much as. As she did? Yeah. Okay. I think someone said that. I don't know. I've talked to her directly about it, but I think Natasha communicated. Oh, because she, she we had the meeting and I wasn't. And, okay. Yeah. Well, Catherine, you should give us a, send us a, a note, remind us what, what you loved or what you enjoyed yeah. about Rob Roy. And we'll, we'll share it next and time. And the language, I mean, the language of the book was very good. I mean, that's an upside, the writing style and stuff. You think and, was, and the gothicness was cool. Okay. I was going to say, was there some theming that was going on that might've been stronger or that like someone might've, like Katie yeah, might've I just, attached to? Well, I don't know. But I feel like like the first third best one is like this dissipated old house and there's mysteries around the girl has something wrong you know there's some secret she's keeping that was really cool i I feel like it took me a while to get into the when they transitioned to scotland between both the dialect and some of the politics and not just knowing everything okay fair enough all right our next book this was for may and june Operation Red Dragon by Ryan Collins. <laughs> yes. This was something very different. This is an indie book. Well, indie book, yeah. Is, is indie the right term for this, I guess? Sure. I yeah. mean, it's a it's a small author. I guess a friend of uh, Nathan's? Was it CC? Yes. It's a fellow, like, kaiju writer. Okay. So it was one that Nathan I think Nathan had knew the guy, had bought his book, had been meaning to read it, put it on the list. I'm like, ah! It's a it's a very different thing than Rob Roy. Let's try it. <laughs> so yeah, what genre was this? We uh, Janelle and I didn't get to this one because she was getting ready for her big recital and summer class and stuff, yeah. and so we just didn't touch this one. Well, it, it's basically a kaiju book. Basically, like there's this secret organization that basically protects the world from evil giant monsters. Oh, okay. And they have a giant robot. Yeah, that's, they pilot. That, that does sound very different from Rob Roy. Yeah, and it's very pulpy. <laughs> It's basically popcorn. Like, it's not bad. I mean, it's one of those things that, like, on one hand, it was interesting. On the other hand, it seemed like everything took too long. Mm. I think it just, I think, and I talked to Nathan a little bit about this. It's this guy's, like, one of his early books, so he's still, uh-huh. like, a lot of good ideas. You could tell, but it's, like, everything, I don't know, it could be condensed or written a little different or whatever. He might still be figuring out Figure, his style. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's some really neat characters. It's, I mean, it's good pulpy kaiju fighting and battles you guy obviously had seen a lot of these movies it, it, it felt like it couldn't very easily transition into a film okay which sure. i would say that was a, a good part about it okay but then you gotta like yeah like kaiju films do that do that enjoy sort of it thing. Yeah. yeah so so i mean the fact that you still enjoy it because i know you sometimes you complain about books that feel too much like movies yeah this one i didn't just because i think it felt like it had the beats of a movie but not that it felt like it was i mean trying the, to be a movie it wasn't trying to be a movie no it was okay it was a book, but it's just written with that, the sensibilities of, and, you know, it's action-y. Yeah. There's not a ton of, like, thematic depth, necessarily. Okay. It is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. Basically, that's, yeah. Fair enough. 
All right, next one. <laughs> this was a an odd duck, but our uh, July August book was The Halloween Tree by Ray Bradbury. <laughs> I just say this this year because of, of course this is something that Greg would nominate. This, this year of book club has been it's been a lot of strange books. <laughs> it really was. They've been all over the place. And I've kind of enjoyed just reading a lot of stuff that I would never pick. I would never have picked Rob Roy probably first mm. or Operator Dragon or um, Core of the Air. Those are all. I would never have picked. I might have picked Halloween Tree at some point because it's Ray Bradbury. Yeah, so yeah. This was uh, this was an interesting one. This felt like a forerunner to Tim Burton. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a nightmare. But we kept thinking Nightmare Before Christmas the whole way through. But it's an odd story. It's basically like it seems like you told me it was like a melding between his uh, nostalgic childhood and weird fantasy kind of stuff. Yeah, which he both does. I think the writing style is very Ray Bradbury and very exciting. Very descriptive. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I love the writing style, but it felt much more didactic than most of his work is. Mm. Like it was, and I think we, didn't we discover like it was going to be a kid show? Like a oh, kid an movie, animated, animated movie, and I think yeah. it did get made into one eventually. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. So the, the story here is that there's this group of kids who are going, getting ready to go trick-or-treating on Halloween, but their gang leader, their, this kid that's the like the most boyish of boys, yeah. Oh, I, lo- I love the way he describes the boys running around. I mean, <laughs> yeah, uh, he can capture that great. He's he's feeling sick or something. He can't go out, and they're very distraught about this. And they wind up going to a local house. It looks like it's kind of a haunted house. And then this guy, uh, oh, he has a great name, Shroud, Mound Shroud. Mound Shroud, yeah, great name. Yeah, you get this creepy Halloweenish dude takes them on this whirlwind journey around the world to and through time and through time to uh, places. Look at how they celebrated death, basically. Yep. You know, you see the Day of the Dead in Mexico. We see the pyramids in Egypt. Just things like gargoyles on Notre Dame. Yeah. So it's it's strange. Like, <laughs> yeah, the, the language is certainly very descriptive and it definitely has this cool vibe. And that, it has this energy. Like and, just, and energy, yes. Anyone yeah. from Hot Topic would love this stuff. <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, again, strange. We read some of this, I think, while we were at the beach, and it was like, this is, feels really out of place. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah. And as someone who didn't grow up with Halloween, I know mm-hmm. it was shocking to some, but, you know, conservative Christian family, I, I still don't really celebrate Halloween, although I, I know the American version of it is relatively tame. But this reminded me a lot of our conversation. We did a podcast episode about playing with death yep. and how it might have some purpose, but in this case, it was... I don't know. I couldn't really go along with a lot of what he was. His thematic was I couldn't quite. Yeah, I, I couldn't quite grasp. It wasn't. It wasn't Christian. I don't think. Which no, uh, it's kind of like humanist. Yeah, I, think. I was gonna say it wasn't also celebrating. It wasn't celebrating demons either. It was more like this, like kind of we fight it. It's like Halloween's a celebration that we're still living. Like we've fought the night. Yeah, and we have the life. We gotta make fun of it because. We have this life, you know, the boy, the boy's boy who has all this pent up energy. That's the life versus mm-hmm. all the the death, the death. So this like kind of like this idea that life is greater because we have death to thwart. I mean, like Doctor Who, they all have this sort of like because life is short is better mm. sort of thing. Yeah, I think it, it plays into some of that. So it is kind of a humorous feel. It's one of those weird things. Like it's. You can kind of say yeah because there's things I agree with, but I couldn't. It, I, it didn't resonate ever, with me. Yeah, it, it kind of thwarts the idea that like Jesus conquered death and that death mm. is defeated. Not like death makes life better. No, that de- no. de- death is not the way life was supposed to be originally. Yeah. There's something inherently wrong with death, and to deny that I think is not truth. Yeah, I love Ray Bradbury generally. I thought this was a little disappointing. Mm. Like I think the language worked, but the I don't know the the content was it was trying to pull too much out of Halloween for my how I feel about it. I couldn't re- I couldn't resonate with his themes, mm-hmm. and a lot of time they can. All right. Well, the next book was easily easily my favorite of the year. Yes, so the hands down. Yeah, September October book was The Man Who Was Thursday. Which it's read before, but it's even better second time. Yep. The Man Who Was Thursday by G.K. Chesterton. This was our first time experiencing it, and man, this this book is a trip. Oh, if you've not read this book, guys, read The Man Who Was Thursday. I don't want to say too much about it in case for people who haven't read it, (laughs) but it it starts off basically with a man who is investigating anarchists. Mm -hmm. And it's a book that somehow (laughs) veers between suspense and farce. 
Yes. <laughs> it, I'm not sure anyone but G.K. Chesterton could have written this book. Probably not. It is very uniquely... And he goes I don't into, know a thing like it. And it goes into fantasy territory by the very end of it. I mean, fantasy, it's... Uh, Super, not supernatural, like theological, mm-hmm. but it's also like just a good spy novel. Yeah. And kind of a mystery. And it's just everywhere. It's funny. Yeah. It, it's er, tense. Every chapter is a journey unto itself. Every chapter that that's completely true. Um, <laughs> if you never read any G.K. Chesterton, this would be, I don't, I think it'd be a great intro. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting that my first, well, no, my first G.K. Chesterton fiction was Father Brown. Father Brown, which with, is also easy to get into. Yeah, very easy to get into. After that would have been Man Alive. And th- it was very interesting reading this after having read Man Alive, because it definitely plays off some of the same ideas in some ways. I mean, the big boisterous characters yes. that basically help you help you celebrate life. That's Man Alive, and that's also, that's yeah. our presence is in this as well. It's very prof- some of the last chapters are very profound too. Yeah, no, I was I was not expecting it to go to some of the places that it did, mm-hmm. particularly in like that last party scene, the party scene. And then when they're walking through the woods and talking about the backside of everything, yeah, yeah. it's it's something else, guys. I don't know how. And you said like the first time you read this, you were or you listened to it. I listened to it. and I was just got my wisdom teeth out. I was a little. Drugged not, up. not, yeah. It was something else because <laughs> he's like, it's drugged up even normal. Like, yeah. I mean, it it is a kind of a surreal book. It is, but like not always. Yeah, <laughs> it just melds between various genres. Yeah, no, and it it is laugh out loud funny at times. Yeah. I don't know if we talked on air or off about you know how some people can take a genre and use it for something completely different. Mm. And this is really took this the kind of mystery spy genre. Mm-hmm. And infused it with something completely that's true new that's true. Like there was that uncompleted Tolkien book that was like a time travel book. Yes, I would I, like to. I would love. I mean, it's like C.S. Lewis doing his space trilogy, like doing it. It's borrowing ideas from H.G. Wells, but doing a Christian version of uh, it. Yeah, something else. Yeah, like I'd love to see more uh, more Christians do that sort of thing. We have a lot of Christians who like to walk in the footprints of. Lewis and Tolkien and the fantasy. Well, there's other genres to be do blow up too. Yeah, absolutely. So this was a great example of that. So yeah, the man who was Thursday easily the best book of the year. Yes, if if you want to read one of the ones that that we've talked about, about that one, do that one, absolutely. But our last one, the one we just Janelle and I just finished last night, even though this was the November December one, (laughs) Richard the Third by William Shakespeare. I really like this. I thought Richard the Third was a blast to read. It was interesting at times this was for me this one felt like it was more interesting in parts than as a whole i had a I hard could, i could not understand that i had a hard time following the story on a whole because it moves very fast like every yeah. scene is like like there are, isn't connective tissue yeah and another challenge of doing this is not knowing your english history it, well, these are like two richards and a couple some like everyone has like the same name na- same name yeah yeah and so if you don't know richard the third richard he's basically well, the brother to the king when the play starts. Yes. And he's pretty much admits at the front that he's a pretty villainous guy. And he just has machinations all over the place. He, yeah. He kills he mar- all kinds of people to get to the throne. He, he kills all kinds of people. He marries the wife of the person he killed. Is that right? Yeah. Is yeah. It the weird thing to me is like the first three-fourths of the book is just him getting his way all over the place. <laughs> yes. And meanwhile, like... How is he getting away with this? Like, I, I uh, sometimes he's able to convince people to do things for him that, like, like they were just seconds ago, minutes ago, like vehemently cursing him to his face. And, like I somehow they got it, he got him to do what he wanted. Like, wait, what? Why? Richard's one of those guys. I feel like some of those scenes. And I read a little bit of a intro in my book, especially when he he woos the lady who hates his guts. Uh-huh. That I think seeing it on stage and seeing that sort of like that wheedling. I think would help some of that, but I think it is. It must. It must. And, have and I think to. It, I think it is kind of stage suspension disbelief to a certain extent. Yeah, but I think it like, must be one of those things where like she's saying things to him that, but her face is like betraying doubts or something yeah. that just doesn't translate but as much. It, it does seem like in some of these things, like there's like two things going on in one time. He's saying something and he's meaning something else like constantly. Yeah. I mean, there's so much double talk yeah. that it's reading it without seeing it takes some effort because. There's a lot that's being implied, and it's also in Shakespearean English. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's a fascinating character. I mean, he seems to be a forerunner of a lot of these uh, lying, deceiving villains we have mm-hmm. nowadays. 
I mean, I, I was thinking Ben Lyon is reading this thing. I'm of like, course, yeah. Just because we do lost, but there's other ones, yeah. Yeah, some scenes it was a little easier to see him to follow his double talk. Like any time he must he was, have been just very charismatic or something because people I, love like his brother trusted him implicitly. Yeah, yeah, like anytime he was talking, like talking about being very devout and like being holy to he dressed up like and, a priest once wasn't he like <laughs> yes, he's like yeah it's like okay yeah we, we kind of see your point here but but yeah it's weird because like for it feels like when you're just reading it, it feels like three-fourths of the play things are just going his way and then suddenly the tide completely shifts against him and there's all these armies that are ready to fight him and like wait where do these people come from and i do think not knowing english history and because it's a play i never read one of shakespeare's histories before so i don't know if this mm. is just standard is julius caesar considered a tragedy or history because i don't I re- know i read that one back in high school so but it's long enough ago that I'm like, i don't know i'm hazy on it anyway sorry but it does seem like it's like it hits all the main scenes but doesn't do any of the connective tissue yeah i, I wonder if it's a little bit like so i watched the crown and like mm. every episode of the crown like they just skip years and they don't really explain what happened in between but they're just showing scenes it's almost like important scene important scene important scene and because you know English history, you don't care, yeah. and also because it's a play, because it's yeah. a it's a I, I it's did, a different convention. I think. Yeah, I did wonder if something, some events were being abridged somewhat, mm-hmm. like kind of pushed together chronologically. Well, like when they're in the at the end, the camp, like it's like all night, and it takes like five minutes on stage, and like what time is it? And they keep saying that, and it yeah, yeah, and it's a very interesting thing, but they're they're letting you know that time's not the same as what you're watching, mm. and I think modern audiences always kind of assume. Unless you do a break, that what you're seeing is linear. live, linear. Yeah, I do really love the at the end when they're doing the dreams. Yeah, I thought that was a great scene. That that was fun. All the ghosts coming to curse Richard and then giving his adversary their blessing. And, and, and it was, yeah, and just you know that he brought out this these themes of, and older books do this a lot more. But I was reading um, *Hound of the Baskervilles* at the same time with my Students? eighth graders. Uh-huh. But both these books have this sense that, like, the super, if you sin, you're going to get punished one way or another. Mm. Like, your sins come back to haunt you. Uh-huh. Literally, um, in this case. Literally. And I think it was n- neat that that was a theme throughout it. One of the queens, Queen Anne, or one of the mothers, kept saying, you know, curse, her curse would come on them. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's this, this idea of that there, there is this eventual justice you can't escape from. And I don't see that in much modern work because we don't believe that there's a ultimate justice anymore. Yeah. Um, so I really enjoyed just seeing that theme of justice and then Richard III is a very interesting character. I think (laughs) I can see some actors just being like, this would be fun to play. Oh yeah. I can see them relishing (laughs) that kind of like double talk and yeah. 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 Yeah, So you can tell this one's kind of fresh on our minds. Yeah. It is Shakespeare. So it's, it's, it's what I'm like, my country for a horse. I'm like, oh, that's where it's from. Yeah. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. It starts off with a, with a line that I read as uh, Mr. Wopsle for Great Expectations. Oh, yeah. Uh, now is the winter of our discontent, <laughs> made glorious summer by this son of York. It's like, oh, I know that one. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was interesting. It was like, good I, Shakespeare, I think. Yeah, I mean, I it's, think it's it's always tricky just reading Shakespeare and yeah. not watching it. Yeah, I would um, agree. But yeah, yeah, I, I don't regret having experienced it. <laughs> I I agree with that in one form. All right. Well, that was our list. Nick, do you have any other books from 2023 that you really wanted to talk about? I'll do two just real, like, rapid fire. Sure. I finally read, because my son's been bugging me, Rhythm of War. So this is my Sanderson update. This is oh. the fourth Stormlight Archive book. Okay. And those are all, like, the thousand This page is 1,200 pages. 1,200 pages. Wow. This book is great. Like, it's a great book. It moves all this stuff around, and they're all, it's very surprising, and... Now, do you know, has this Brandon Sanderson, has he announced how far into this series this is? Like, is There's this... going to be 10 books. Oh, it's 10 books? Yeah. Oh, and this is number four. But here's the thing. Also, from what I understand, it's five books and five books. Oh, really? That there's a major arc? Five is a whole, like, sacred number in this world anyways. Like, every yeah. book has five acts. Every... Okay. The number five is important. Okay. And you feel like this is moving towards the climax. I think this next one's going to be, like, major... I don't know, time jump, people die, big, I don't know what, but yeah. Is Brandon Sanderson a fan of Babylon 5? Not that I know of, but he could be. <laughs> same same idea. Yeah. It sounds like you, like yeah. you used to plan all your stuff around and five, I don't, and five acts. Yeah, so there's there's five books in each book. Okay. Um, interesting. And it's, it's really interesting what he does. I mean, it's 
I can't say much because it's hard to explain. It's 1,200 pages. It's three books before. I can't c- tell you much. But <laughs> what it is very good is that being such a big world, it's still really about but just a handful of important characters. Okay, yeah, that was a question I was going to have. Do you think it's going to be about the same characters for all 10 books, or, or this is like two different ages of this world? I, think? Honestly, at this point, I don't know. I mean, Phil would be very mad if one of the characters died. Like, the main, main character. Uh-huh. In this book, he's actually... He's going through depression, post-traumatic stress, and all this other stuff, uh-huh. and eventually comes out moving past that and be, being awesome again and feels like, yeah, it's like, you know, that's his favorite. <laughs> uh-huh. I've heard somewhere, I think, that some important characters are going to die. I don't know what. They could do all sorts of stuff. Has they f- could move to... The, I could see them moving to a different world for this next... <laughs> um, so I really don't know. Because right now, they keep doing more and more that there's other worlds out there. Uh-huh. It's all connected to... I don't know what he'll do. I mean, this, and he has his own... Brandon Sanderson has his own, like, Cosmere thing, right? This like, is part of it, and it's a big part of it. Yeah, Cosmere is like his own universe, yeah. And this... There are characters from at least two or three other series that show up in this book series. Wow. Or at least characters... You know, people who are really into it, which I'm not, can just be like, oh, that's from this book series. And because each mm. each world has its own magic system, but they all run on the same premise. It's all about investiture that you get power from something and use it. Mm-hmm. But like some worlds, it's from color, and other worlds, it's from stormlight, and other world. And the thing is, stormlight you can capture, and there's people who want to take the stormlight and move and move it to other worlds so they can take power. It's a whole thing. Uh-huh. It's it's crazy. It's <laughs> it's. I mean, it's impressive stuff. I, I'm always a little intrigued hearing about it from the outside, but I know I'm not a fast enough reader to have time to dive into all that. I know. I you probably would like this. You would like it better than Wheel of Time, I think. You think? Yeah, I do actually. Yeah. Mm, okay. Okay. Um, does, does this feel like it more than Wheel of Time? Because he's oh read... he, he's he didn't get he didn't care for Wheel of Time. Oh, okay. He didn't finish it. No. Okay. Interesting. He's. I don't know if he finished the first book. Actually, I read the first book. I think and decided it was done. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, Nick. <laughs> it's, it's, his, it's his wheel time. I'm super this happy he's on his own. Yeah. yeah well, there he's you going, go. Everyone's going. Kids never like exactly what you like. <laughs> uh, yeah. Being a father, I'm very curious about that kind of stuff now, especially. And this, real quick, just because I was curious, I read Wastelands. It's a, a T.S. Eliot collection poem. Oh, okay. It was really interesting. I can't tell you much now about it, but it was. It was a Wastelands and other poems, and it was a collection of poems. There's a couple of poems like called The Rock, or some of it is Christian poems. I don't know if Wastelands was before it was a Christian. I think it was, but it just captures kind of this emptiness. But then some of his Christian poems, were, they had one about the Magi coming. Some really interesting stuff. I'm not a good, I couldn't explain poetry well, and I couldn't always explain exactly what it meant. Mm-hmm. I was like the love life of uh, Alfred, what is it? The love, life of, the love life of Wallace P. Fitzgerald? Based on, the title is based on the, the, no, the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that the movie that you wrote for me was based off of T.S. Eliot. No, well, just the title. Just the title. Just title. Okay, okay. I would like to read more T.S. Eliot. He's a very interesting poet. And I'm not, I won't claim to be any sort of expert in poetry, but it was worth reading. And so I thought I'd throw that out there since I was going to do my classic sure. sort of thing. Sure. I could do more, but that's probably the important ones for the year. Cool. Well, I don't really have any books from 2023 that I'm, I feel qualified to talk about. Although I do, I am making it a goal of mine in 2024 to read more on my own. Mm-hmm. It's not just for the book club. Because since it's a priority for me this year to write my own novel, I figure I probably better spend some more time actually reading other novels. It's Yeah. You know, if you're going to work in a medium, you should... Uh, and probably helping motivation too, because you know I'll watch YouTube videos like, oh man, why haven't I done a YouTube thing by now? That's true. Um, so exploring an art form inspires you to do more of that art form. Yes. But anyway, I think for now that will have to do it for this episode. Yes, Nick. that sounds good to me. Again, we have two more episodes that will be coming after this. We're uh, trying to take this podcast episode 150 before we go on a hiatus. But you can still find all of our past episodes on derailedtrainsofthought.com. You can also, uh, season two of Let's Finally Watch This is completely finished. That's right. As of the end of December. And it was also a very interesting collection of movies, just like this Take of Tales, a very interesting collection of books. That's true. So you should definitely check that out. Yep. Uh, subscribe to Let's Finally Watch This. is on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and Spotify. Anywhere fine podcasts or most fine podcasts are found. Yes. And, of course, we are also on Facebook and Twitter. <coughs> X. Um, <laughs> so if you would like to follow us there and see us not talk about anything but their episodes. 
<laughs> do a lot. We do a lot of social meeting on social media, especially now since we're about to put the podcast yes. to sleep for a little while. Um, <laughs> but anyway, besides all that, Nick, what is your soundtrack for today? So I picked a remix from Wild Arms, which we've done before, but I've never done Wild Arms. So it doesn't violate your uh, goal of... And I only got a couple episodes left. I got to get some good songs in here. <laughs> okay. But Wild Arms is interesting because when you start the game, there's three characters that join a party. Well, you play half hour, hour with one character and half hour, hour with... And it introduces them. It sets them all up as characters so that when they come together, you, you know their mechanics, you know their backstories, you know everything. They come together and they do their thing. Hmm. Which I thought was kind of an interesting setup for a RPG. This is remixed by Diggy Dis. Um, it's called The Long Journey Ahead. And I think that's also nice with setup. Like, you set up so because there's a journey ahead, you want to know all what's going to happen. So I like the title too. And this song is just great. Just a lot of fun, very jazzy, peppy, smooth, whatever you want to call it. Nice. We've got two uh, cheerful soundtracks today. I think. Yes. Well, Nick, this has been one excellent, bodacious <laughs> podcast. Wait, wait, well, that's wrong. Movie. Wrong, wrong, wrong time travel. Movie. <laughs> but no, this has been this has been fun. Um, it seems like there's quite a hubbub. Some bullies are chasing that guy on a skateboard. No, wow, he's really he's got some moves. I got I got to say, yeah, it's the power of love. Yeah. <laughs> but all right, well, I guess we better have the podcast cast us home so we can get back in time. <laughs> Oh, okay. Five of you understood and appreciate that. Well, maybe more than that. <laughs> Hopefully more than you. That's <laughs> us. I cannot blah, blah, blah. All yes. right. <laughs> Thanks for listening, folks. Until next time, this is Tim. This is Nick. Bye-bye. Adios.